Time's not down, you're not coming in. Hey there, just a quick message ahead of this episode to say we hope you like the rebrand, which includes a new website, rawuk.com, that's the URL. On there you can listen to and watch all our previous content. You can get extra content. You can also buy our first ever Raw merchandise and even sign up to become a Raw member, which will keep us going and keep you at the heart of this exciting journey, earning perks in return. We need your support, so please do check us out at rawuk.com and remember to like, comment and subscribe to everything we do on all our channels. And of course, make sure you tell all your pals. But most of all, enjoy this latest episode. Cheers. Hello, Tom Latcham here. You're listening to Raw the 90s Rave podcast. Thanks for joining us yet again for another cracking episode. Here at Raw, our aim is to reflect the 90s rave scene from all around the UK and potentially even further afield indeed uh, and this week we roll into Manchester. Today's guest is one of the Northwest's rave scene's most loved sons. He start, uh, he played uh, at the legendary Hacienda Club before going on to play at the Eclipse, Quest, Amnesia House, Bowlers, Club Kinetic, Destruction, Fantasia, Shelley's, Universe, Uprising, Vibolite and more. <laughs> Famed for his high energy sets, he was also a top radio presenter and even a brief pop star. He is, of course, the one and only Stu Allen. So let's say hello to him. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Well, a big oh, hello. Uh, pop star. I don't know about that. But anyway, I know what you mean. I this know what mate, you mean. You were on we'll top of the pop. Later. Well, you were on I, was, I was stood at the side watching. <laughs> I'll let the other two do what they did. But we'll go into that later. Listen, mate. You're, if you if you if you if we're saying you're a pop star, wear the t-shirt, mate. Because you know what? Not many of us can say that. How are you? <laughs> I'm great, yeah, and surprisingly well after this uh, very strange year we've had. Um, but yeah, you you learn over the years to to plod on, you know, and uh, make the best of what's you know what you've got, and uh, yeah, just what you've got basically. And um, that's a very I still I still count as blessed, you know. That's I mean? a, ver- a very a very healthy way of viewing it, and we'll come on to all of that later. Mm. Um, but as we are a 90s rave podcast, I do want to kick off uh, the, by asking you uh, general questions, really, around the 90s rave scene, as we often do when we start these interviews. So you've played all kinds <laughs> of rave music over the years, uh, including the 90s. There was a whole range as well. But what is it about yeah. the 90s rave scene and 90s rave music that you fell in love with and that has kept you very much involved in the music and the scene to this very day? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've always, from right from the beginning, it's just, just like quality, good dance music. You know, even before when before House came along in the 80s, um, I was still liking things to dance to, basically, as well as lots of other stuff. But it was just a, a progression, you know, of the original House that I was playing, you know, when it started, and it just grew and grew, and then it... You know, things just move on, don't they? And then, yeah, it was a bit of a magical year of 1990 where raves in their very uh, accessible form really kicked off. And that really kicked off in my kind of DJing career as well to be playing beyond the northwest of England as well. Um, That's, you know, in 1990... Although I was doing a few of the bits, but 1990 was definitely the year. And down at the the Eclipse in Coventry, I, you know, uh, was where I was booked to play in that year, early in 1990, and uh, it was unbelievable because that was a that was that place was open Friday and Saturday all night. I mean, that sounds like nothing these days, but back in 1990, if you had 
you know, you had to close at two or on occasions three if you were lucky, you know, anywhere in, in the country. And as well that uh, weekends, yeah, you know, were reserved for the, the more commercial sort of clubs, you know, the Roxies and the Icons or whatever they were called back then. Horrible, you know, places that we sometimes played at on a Monday night and things, you know, back then. Because, the you know, the weekend was just all pop music, basically. So arriving at the Eclipse, seeing the, the people who were there were, you know, proper ravers. Um, all the other DJs who were on the same bill were just, you know, we were all in that scene pretty up and coming. You know, I'd be there and you'd be meeting these and make lifelong friendships with these DJs. You know, Sasha, Carl Cox... Uh, we'd get a, a prodigy PA because they were just starting out, you know, and, oh, yeah, we'll give them a go, you know, that sort of thing. Unbelievable place. And uh, and for the, all the years I ever played there, it was the same vibe, you know, but everybody was just getting more and more popular. The place, like I say, was hammered every Friday and Saturday, you know, incredible place. So that's where it, the main thing started for me and obviously for lots of other DJs and ravers was that year 1990 in that in that club i know other places were going on but that's that was my experience there uh, and you then having got the bug really threw yourself into it absolutely immersed yourself in the scene yeah. and you played a significant role in its growth and particularly and, and i know that you say around the country but particularly in the northwest where you're from and you, know, you had all those radio shows where you were t showing people the you know this new sort of music and again we'll come on to that but how do you mm. view the northwest's contribution to the 90s rave scene uh yeah it, it's it's well it's it's it was big um in its contribution definitely i Again, go that slightly bit before without in too much detail. But when the house music started, uh, it was definitely, you know, a, a prime not primarily, but you know, a very in its style was definitely a northern thing. London and places, Nottingham, all those they were all playing it without a doubt, you know, and uh, and everything. But it was certainly more popular um, in the north, you know, whether it was the northwest of England, definitely. And then up into even Scotland and the northeast and whatever. So um, yeah, the northwest was you know you have it. It was a bit more kind of ravey, can we say? And dare I say, it, on occasions, a bit cheesier. <laughs> but, but that didn't matter because it just it was just like come on, you know, and just get on with it, you know. It well, there, uh, there no are. There are some questions coming about the, uh, the the cheesy nature of some of the music later on. Um, we'll come yes. to that. So, so, so in a way, you feel like the uh, the Northwest actually sort of heralded the birth of rave. I know there's been documentaries about the Blackburn scene and things like that. So, you know, for the, the yeah, Astro exactly. scene in the, in the late 80s and things like that. So that's interesting. Uh, what do you think that your personal contribution did for the developing rave scene? And again, particularly in the Northwest, or, or, or I suppose just given it was starting in the Northwest, I suppose, to the whole... Whole of the UK. Yeah, uh, I suppose a lot of my bit would have been uh, playing uh, the music on the radio more than anything, you know, because uh, there was all ages listening and in their droves, uh, which was brilliant. Uh, so, yeah, people would hear what I'm playing because um, I would be playing most of the stuff there before. But lots of others would have heard it at the time. Uh, Lots of reasons behind that, but yeah, they just go, oh, he'll play. And um, on a Sunday night, I'd play all these, you know, bizarre tracks, and uh, 
and people go in on the following day or whatever. DJs would as well with a list after hearing the show the night before and, um, you know, and fill their record boxes that way. So I suppose, you know, obviously I was DJing as well, you know, going to all these different clubs DJing. But, yeah, it was my – what I was playing on Piccadilly Radio on then became Key 103 um, <clears throat> on a Sunday night uh, because that's where you would hear and find out what the tracks were as well. If you went to a club, you would be ending up singing the tunes in the record shop and have you got – no, 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 <laughs> And they go, yeah, I think they'll know the one you mean. Yeah, right. We really hope you're enjoying yet another one of Raw's in-depth interviews about the rave scene, which we are proud to say are now all curated into the British Library Sound Archive. All of us here at Raw HQ love how much you love what we do, and your generous one-off donations have been a huge help in covering our initial costs. But we're now a team of five, putting in a combined 80 hours a week for no wages, with big plans to expand further, and so our costs are going up. As such, we could really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing, as you've seen us do since our launch in July 2020. First up, go and check out our brand new website. It's rawuk.com, where you can find loads of cool extra content, and you can grab Raw's first ever range of merchandise. That's rawuk.com for our new flashy website. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can support us financially to create more content on an ongoing basis for less than the price of an oat milk cappuccino. Plus, you get great perks in return. Head to patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods. That's patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods to see exactly what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is basically the same. Uh, or if you're not asked about a membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or a repeat donation, then head to our website and click the PayPal link. A reminder of that new website URL yet again, rawuk.com. Big love and respect to you all. Please keep supporting us. Hope you enjoyed the rest of the app. Still here with Mr. Stu Allen, the man, the legend, the Northwest man, the legend, but also just uh, generally in the rave scene. Um, we're going to talk now about his early years and how he became a DJ. I, I mean, in the night, we're going to focus more on the nineties, of course, because yeah, that's what yeah. we are as a podcast. But you can't ignore uh, people what you know what they their, their upbringing and what they went through before they got to that point. And you did a lot, so uh, we're going to sort of start mm. there. Uh, a lot of the ravers in the Northwest will know you from your radio shows, Piccadilly Radio, and then it turned to Key One Hundred Three. You came big personality there um but you're not originally from manchester of course we learned that you grew up in anglesey you said it was a uh, a great upbringing but it's not known as a hotbed for djs and it's no. certainly not known as a hotbed for djs playing predominantly black music as you did at the no. very start so how did you end up doing that in anglesey <laughs> well um the, yeah dj wise uh, back in those days um if you wanted to DJ, you would just be a wedding DJ or, you know, that sort of thing. Although there weren't really any nightclubs as such. There'd be like a function room in a hotel might have a bit of a, what they'd call a disco night <clears throat> on a Friday or whatever. So, yeah, it was pretty rubbish, you know, you know, in nightlife in that way. So it never occurred to me, although I was playing records at home, uh, to actually think of yourself as a DJ never really cr crossed my mind in those days because DJing, like I say, was just like playing one to another to another to another with a bit of, okay, wonderful, wonderful record there uh, uh, and all this. Absolute <laughs> shite. So why would you want to do that anyway? So the art of DJing, in, you know, as we know it, 
or what it became just didn't really exist. Um, so yeah, I was playing music at home constantly. But well, how did that? How did days, that? How did that come about? Because was it a musical family? Were your were your parents into oh, that sort of music? How yeah, did you yeah. discover this music when you're on an island off North Wales? <laughs> well, I don't think it matters where you, where you are. Uh, you know, you can love music obviously anywhere, but the uh, getting access to it is a bit different. Um, but uh, yeah, my mum had the the radio on all the time, so you know I was hearing pop music constantly. You know, as in way back, way back, late 60s stuff. Um, my dad liked jazz. Um, he he played lots of, you know, Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong and all these sort of things at home. So you could hear all these different styles of things going on. Uh, a cousin of mine, he liked the shadows. So that's so what I was going to say was that before decks were, you know, you've never, like, lots of people now go, I've got to get me decks, got to get me decks. Back then, I've got to get a guitar, and that's what I did. I just got a guitar and um, played in a band in uh, the late 70s, you know, before the, uh, the moving to Manchester thing came in. I was, you know, I was doing that. And then... So do you, do you, do you view yourself as musical, then? Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, it's just, it's in my blood. Seriously, I know it sounds, that is another cliche, but I just... It, it's just there right from the beginning. Um, I was, the day I got that guitar, which I, when I was about nine, I think, I got this second-hand guitar from the local paper advert, you know, and bought that. And uh, constantly, constantly, constantly played this guitar, learning and learning and learning. So my the fingers on there were just raw, you know, from playing that often. And they toughened up and away I went. And yeah, that was it. I was just, had to keep, you know, it's music, music, music all the time, all the time. Yeah, and I, was, and I used to listen to uh, John Peel uh, had his evening show, yeah, um, ten till midnight, all those years ago, and um, and I was religiously listening to that again. Vast different styles of music there, but he would fit in uh, some reggae and you know, even some funky tunes or whatever. And one thing, one that he he did play. Uh, back in 81, I think, around that time. And he played Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel, um, where if anyone who hasn't heard that yet, you know, do go and search for that, because that was the days before samplers and, you know, computers even, you know. The, obviously, there were overlaid, edited bits, but this was a guy on two turntables mainly using Sheik's Good Times as the, the, his main backing. But he cut all these things in and s scratching. But I didn't know he was doing that. I was like, what is that sound? You know, and I honestly had no idea that he was moving the track, you know, the vinyl got back and all this sort of thing. This was 1981. Yeah, I was like, I don't get this. I don't get it. And then when I found out, this was on turntables, you know, because you couldn't YouTube it. There was no internet uh, and all this sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I had to really look into that. I mean, how the hell has he made this tune? And that was the tune. I thought, I want to do that. Whether I was going to be successful on it or not, it wasn't even crossing my mind. But I needed to get on turntables to do it that way and not just play music. You know, I needed to be, yeah, creative, really, you know, and that hip-hop and that style of music allowed you to do that. 
Okay, so there's a very vast difference between listening to John Peel and having a turntable and yeah. then becoming what you became. So where did the idea that you could become a DJ, regardless of whether it was the sort of, the, the you know, a radio DJ or if it was a rave DJ, mm -hmm. you know, a dance music DJ or a hip hop DJ or whatever it was, where, where did you decide, yeah. actually, there's, I am musical, I do have a deck, I have an interest in this, I can turn this into a career. Yeah, well, again, I, I never really had a, I never had a plan. Uh, it was all just the love of music was spurring me on, and uh, I managed to get into uh, Piccadilly Radio after I moved to Manchester. This was in 1984, and I managed to get in there and eventually pester them enough to get a job. And this was all behind the scenes, as a you know, in production and all the rest of it, and all the rest of it. And then two years later, uh, I was still doing all that, but then the guy who had the regular slot on a Sunday um, playing soul music, really, um, was going off for six weeks to do with some other jobs. So the bosses at the radio stations went, mm, oh, you, you like that kind of music, don't you? Do you want to do it? <laughs> it was like that. And I went, yeah. And then shit myself thinking, why have I said yes? This is, oh, you know, I was so, so nervous. But yeah, and that's how it started because I did the six weeks. And during the six weeks, just purely because I knew what to play, because when you're into certain music, you know, and you don't play all the wrong tunes. Um, there was letters, not emails in those days, just loads and loads of letters and everything wow. coming in saying, this is this is brilliant where is all this music you know and i was playing uh it was a soul show but i was but i started the show with Fally jack master from love can't turn around as my first tune uh, yeah because i thought i just thought it was an opportunity to play good current music that was predominantly black music as house music always was back then um and alongside soul and i thought i'm going to throw some hip-hop in as well that's black music as well yeah i'm gonna throw that in and it became this amalgamation of different styles like that of then there was no such thing you know at, of the show anyway of, of old school it was everything was incredibly new you know and the and it just progressed from there. And, the and if people were if people were impressed by you finding all these tunes, where were you getting? Where were you finding those tunes? <clears throat> well, um, as the show went on, the uh, I, I, there was a shop called Spinning in Manchester, which was on Cross Street in Manchester in its original then uh, original place, and they would get these things and they were really really you know tracks records dj international records all these labels that were new uh from america because we all played imports and stuff back then really ma mainly and uh there was be the record rep and he just he used to come in and go i've got one and they were just one-offs they weren't like a box or anything they were just like one-offs and so can you do anything with these because I've been down London and various other shops down there and they don't want them. They all want like rare groove or whatever. So they just said, well, yeah, just keep them out. Uh, well, Stu Allen, he, you know, I'll let him have a listen and see if it, and I'm like playing and going, wow, this is amazing. You know, like proper early stuff, you know, Marshall Jefferson and Donis and 
everybody in and I'm like, whoa, this is stuff, you know, brand new names back then. Is, I'm like, wow, this is very different and absolutely brilliant at the same time. So I was just playing them on the Sunday show, you know, much to the annoyance of the, the bosses of the radio station, you know, and they're going, what are you doing? What is this music? And I went, well, it's just why things right, you know, that's, let's just, you know, play this. I just want to play it alongside, you know, very sort of accessible soul music as well. And, uh, and you go, oh, no, you should be playing, you know, Alan Giroux and George Benson, really. <laughs> I'm going, well, if they bring out a decent tune, I'll play it. But at the moment, <laughs> they haven't, you know what I mean, at that time. So anyway, it just became the fact that he just said, well, okay, well, we'll give it, we'll give it sort of a couple of months, three months, and if the ratings aren't very good, we'll do it our way. And if they're okay, we can see, you know, doing it your way. And the the ratings were the biggest of that time on a Sunday night they have ever, the radio station ever, ever had. Wow, wow. And I just couldn't believe it. And I was like, whoa, you know, because it just it's just the way it was. And I was just obviously happy about that. I didn't it. Did you um, <clears throat> absolutely smashed it by the sound of it? Is that something that's characterised your career? Is that sort of like, no, I'm going to play what I want. <laughs> and, I, I, and I've got, and, yes, I, and, and, I, no. and I'm sort of right. Yeah, kind of. Um but you still, you know, have to, um, on the radio is different. I, I was kind of educating really, you know, without realizing it. I was just playing, oh, this is something really, really new, or it's, this isn't going to come out for months or whatever, you know, because um, record companies would start, once they realize the show is not, you start getting mailed hundreds of bloody records every week, you know, and you go, oh, God. But, um, but yeah, but that's fine on the radio. Um, I still do that to this day, you know, where I will think, oh, I found some nice new tunes. I'm going to play the new tunes, you know. But in a club, it's different. You can't, I would never, I've never been that arrogant as a DJ in a club, you know, and it much the annoyance of a, about three people in the corner going, oh, I was always fucking playing this one, you know what I mean? You get that all the time. And it, but then you look in front and like hundreds of people are going, Yes, you know. Yes, well, I can. I'll, you, you I'll are playing the odd one. You know what I mean? But you are you a renowned, you're a renowned crowd pleaser, and, and everyone says it, and that's why people love you, right? Because you know the majority love you. But um, are there artists who would do what you just said, and they don't give a fuck, and they're that arrogant that they play what they want? I see it. I've seen it loads. Yeah, and big names. No, I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that because uh, no. But are they? Are there, are some of them big? Names? Oh yeah, so yeah, yeah. Even right back from the, the the of the rave scene, which I'm sure we'll go back to eventually. But but yeah, the uh, in you know while the proper big rave scene was going on, it was all new tunes. You know, I'd I'd, I'd only have stuff in my box that was no more than two months old. You know what I mean? You did keep certain ones that were guaranteed floor fillers. And then you pick up some fantastic new tunes, you know, and play those. Only if I knew it was right for the crowd, though. But, yeah, you know, you'd get such and such DJ would come on. And even though half the crowd had just walked away, he was going, I'm still playing anyway, head down. <laughs> you know, and you think, what is that? But, you know, that's the way they want to be. That's fine. But, yeah. What's the, what, the question, yeah. what's the opposite of a crowd pleaser? That's what they, they, they don't mean there's, a ter, there's not a term for it, is there? Um, no, well, the bar got busy a few times, but that was it. <laughs> <laughs> no smoke uh, area then. <laughs> um, and, and just to quickly go back to your move from Anglesey to Manchester, w was it purely driven by your desire to 
yeah. uncover new uncover new music to get into the music Ooh. industry it was really yeah I, I um knowing that on the musical side yeah it being i was in this like i said it was a band that was just very local you know and um it's a local band from local people <laughs> and it was all that but it was yeah it was great and all the rest of it but obviously just wouldn't carry on so and i, I was work when where i was working in anglesey was uh, i was made redundant there was big closures back then the good old thatcher regime you know and all that so they just closed took half the workforce down so i thought i've got to move somewhere right. and uh, literally two weeks after being made redundant i was living in a um a bed sit in west didsbury what, <laughs> why, Man why, why manchester um well it, i was looking at uh, the way the music was the club side of things um especially um the soul and funk venues back then <clears throat> um there was uh greg wilson doing um you know he did yeah he did a Wednesday night in Legend, and this was 1982, and uh, and he was also doing a Tuesday night in Wigan Pier, which was the original Wigan Pier scene, and various other places. And I'd heard about this, and uh, there was Mike Shaft on Piccadilly Radio on a Sunday afternoon, uh, things like that. And I just, you know, you tune in and you're going, wow, stuff you just wouldn't get, obviously, in North Wales, you know. So yeah, it was. Uh, I had to make the move unless I wanted to become a, a bored farmer or something. You know, I mean, well, I think, I, I think history has proven you did make the right decisions, Stu. Yeah, so, uh, I'm very lucky, very lucky at the same time. <laughs> I mean, what, what a yeah, shame for us all if you had ended up being a farmer, I think. Well, uh, that, <laughs> I mean, the farming industry might have been missing out, but uh, the rave oh. industry, very, very happy with your decision. Um, fast forward a bit, and you, you, you'd been on the radio for some time, very successful, everyone, you know, really rated you during those some of those early days you accidentally gave gerald simpson who's uh aka a guy called <laughs> gerald his now famous name um so apparently, apparently, i really yeah. i really want to hit this is a great story so please uh do tell us Ooh. how this came to pass well um i don't well, yeah i kind of remember saying it because what happened was gerald was this guy um again up and coming he had a an 808 drum machine a 303 baseline machine, which where the acid sound, the original acid sounds came from. And he used to just sit in his, he had, a, I think he was just living in a bed sit in Russia and messing about. Fantastic. I was like, and he used to just bung these, all these jams really on cassettes. And they'd be just 808 beats, fantastically programmed. And again, the 303 acidy baselines going with it. And I'm like, Shit, this is unbelievable. And he used to just give me these tapes to oh, think of this, so you think of it. Took him way back, 88, 89, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, 88 this sort of time. And so I'd listen to I was like, wow. So I'd dub off the cassette onto reel to reel tapes, is what we play on the radio. Play just just dub off like three or four minutes worth, you know, of the odd track, play it on the radio and just go. Wow, there's a local guy called Gerald. He's absolutely amazing. He's just listen to this, blah 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 blah. And then, yeah, and he said, oh, um, yeah, he's just no, he's not an artist. No, he's just a guy called Gerald. <laughs> and apparently, that's how it. You know, I'll just call you that. Man. And he said, <laughs> a guy called Gerald. 
That's, that's amazing. And have you talked to him about how that you helped him get that name since? No, I, I don't think it's ever been a conversation. But yeah, we 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 still, you know, whenever we see each other, it's always we're always very pleased to see each other. I'm Big sure. respect between each other. You know, he's he's a brilliant guy and very very talented to this day. You know. And, and who else have you, if anybody, have you helped to succeed in the rave scene? Um, apart from giving them loads of publicity by playing their music, um, I, I don't know as anything as direct, really, to be quite honest. Uh, I've, I've helped as many DJs as possible uh, by just, yeah, again, like do well, a mix, I'll play it on the radio, you know, that sort well, of thing. Here's, here's a question, you know, have you heard anyone's first tunes, like their f earliest tunes, and played them out on the radio, and they're now there? I would see, but, well... Again, you know that I, I've given them publicity by having them on the show for as you know for an interview or uh, making sure I will play their tunes, you know, and that way loads will, you know, and I'll and if I was to big it up and just say, yeah, this is an amazing tune, people will believe that, you know, and well, they obviously believe themselves if it's a decent enough tune. But yeah, I've helped them in it, lots of people in that way, but not consciously really do you know what i mean but uh but yeah i've just not gone i'm going to make you a star you know no i don't like, i don't mean us. that i mean that you played someone's tune and you thought this this is brilliant and then they've gone on to be oh know, yeah that, that's massive. happened lots lots of times yeah yeah which is really nice but i never sort of i never go up to go remember when i play that don't forget me now you know none of that but yeah, well, that's yeah. good because that would make you a twat, and you're not a twat, Stu. So, yeah, exactly. Um, so, Stu, during our research, we came across a, quite a, an amusing line in an interview uh, where you said you popped into a shoom night at Legend in Manchester during the early days of rave, and you didn't right. you didn't like it. You, you said you, that you well, didn't like the way the ravers were dressed and the way they were dancing. Um, <laughs> so, what what made you change your mind? Because it's sort well, of important to your latter um, career. Really. I do remember it. Yeah, because it was a club. <laughs> I, I was DJing on a Saturday night, which is legend, where Greg Wilson used to do the early 80s, then Chad Jackson and people like that. And then I took over um, right up to 1990. <clears throat> um, and I think Danny Ramplin uh, and a couple of others used to do, they managed to get in there on a Monday. And the, yeah, it was around 1990 time, I think. Because that's where I was getting a bit, mm, the, the racing's, you know, in certain pockets was changing so much. Um, and I still, I do like the tracks. I like them more now than I did then, to be honest, because there's tracks like Numero Uno, uh, Starlight, you know, those sorts of tunes. <laughs> Very untraditional house. There were this Itali Italian, you know, sorts of things, all just larger samply things and thrown together. And the whole vibe um, was just very different from, like I said, that house music has always been, and that my crowds were sort of 75% black, you know, as, a, as because that was the music, you know, that's how it was. And I went into shoe and it was like, not like that at all, you know. Everyone was having a good time. Never knock any anybody for that, but it was a very different crowd. It was with you know the sort of loose, baggy, clothy things that went on to be a fashiony thing 
really, you know. And it was just very different. I think a lot of people watching now and hearing this would not maybe get it, but it, 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 the, the, the nights, the, the traditional house nights were just, everyone was so into the music um, in its traditional form, you know what I mean? It's sort of, it was very noisy, very bassy, all this kind of thing. And then suddenly this was a different thing. And it was quite, you know, I, I don't want to mention words because it almost sounds racist and obviously it isn't, but it, it, it was a complete change of crowd um with that style it happened at the hacienda as well you know it was it was it had changed quite a lot and that was quite quite a shock in a way i wasn't like Ooh, but i was like whoa this is not what we had before so things were starting to change big time but it wasn't my kind of favorite music so i didn't really play much of that at that time you know i'll dig a few out to play on the radio now, but not then, you know. Why Why wasn't it your sort of music? What was it about it that you weren't into? Like I say, it, what, it, it was too much of a change. Like, if you can imagine the, the, you know, like the good Chicago house stuff that, you know, we were, even that was progressing and acid house and things. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, like Numero Uno comes along with these, you know, the way the piano sound was, it was very brash. Um, just, it was it was very commercial in its sound as well, very poppy, you know. And uh, that again, you know, it was just not underground at all in its sound. Um, but it was, it all became big hits and things. They all crossed over more than the Chicago ones did, I suppose. So that's probably why they did it, obviously. But, but yeah, so how, was, when, you know, when did you when did you realize? Actually, I, I do quite like this stuff, and I'm going to well, start yeah, playing. Well, I didn't. I still didn't play that sort of thing much in a club. You know, I don't. I don't know what the last time I've ever played that Numero Uno or any of that stuff in a club ever. Really, to be honest, uh, radio-wise, it sounds great. It sounds great on the radio. But um, but no, it was more. When 1990 was coming along for me, I was playing more uh, quartz and, you know, that sort of meltdown sound. And and then some little breakbeaty things, Shut Up and Dance, were starting to get, you know, get their act together with some really different stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. It was... Um, Take it easy. And Nicolette. Single-minded people, they can always find a way. Single-minded people, they can always find a way. Single-minded people, they can These sort of very British, um, you know, music was starting alongside... I was playing, you know, like some of the Belgian-y things, but yeah, it was quite nice to see some British breakbeaty things. Very different, very different. Well, that's it for another episode of Raw. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to get involved. All of us here at Raw HQ buzz hard of how much you, the Raw crew, enjoy our work and your generous cash donations have been a huge help since our launch. But we're now a team of five, putting in combined 80 hours a week for no wages. We've got loads of plans to go further, expand our team and offer, but that does mean that our costs are also increasing. So we could really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing as you've done since we started. 
So please do check out our website initially. It's rawuk.com for interesting extra content and to get your hands on our first ever range of raw merchandise. That's rawuk.com. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can donate to create more interesting and fun content on an ongoing basis and you'll even get stuff in return. So head to patreon.com forward slash rawukpods. That's patreon.com forward slash rawukpods to see what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is the same. Or if you're not bothered about membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or repeat donation, head to our website and click the PayPal link. That website URL, one more time, rawuk.com. Respect to you for your support and for getting to the end of this episode. Please keep supporting us and help ensure there's more quality content coming your way on a regular basis. Oi, oi. Raw, raw, raw.